0: Welcome to Givey Connect Plus, a podcast series where we talk to local charities in the UK and put the spotlight on their exciting projects and initiatives. I'm your host, Fizza Zerheo, and our guest for today is Benifer Boundary, Chief Executive of the Hopscotch Women's Centre. Hopscotch Women's Centre was established as a Safe the Children project to help and support Bangladeshi women and children who had come to join their partners in the UK to settle. Today, Hopscotch has a vision to work towards a society where all women are empowered, connected, well and safe. Hopscotch also seeks to address racial and gender inequity and empowers women facing this injustice in a culturally sensitive way so that they can feel included and equal in society. They are responsive to changing needs and aspire to maximize opportunities for women so that they feel confident in achieving their dreams. Their aims include maintaining an effective, fit for purpose and robust organization that meets the needs of all stakeholders in order to accomplish their mission. Once again, a very, very warm welcome to Benifer. Thank you so much for joining us today in this episode of Givey Connect Plus. Can I please ask you to start us off by firstly introducing yourself, telling us about the work that you do, and also shedding some light on some of the most recent projects that you've been working on as part of Hopscotch Women's Centre. So on to Oh,
1: Fiza, thank you so much for having me. My name is Benifer, and I'm the CEO of Hopscotch Women's Centre. So at the moment, the services we provide are very much based around the safety of women and poverty and unemployment. And obviously in the last couple of years these have been more needed than ever so we run a very very busy service and then on top of that a few months ago we became lead partner with Camden Council to support them with um, a huge influx that the borough of Camden had of evacuees from Afghanistan so we were able to transport the skills we have to that community and So we have a base in our office running our normal services, plus the work we're doing in the bridging hotels. But we also have a home care service, which is a contract with Camden Council, where we provide care workers to go into vulnerable people's homes and and take care of them. And sometimes that might seem like a really odd thing for a women's centre to do. But it was set up as a way of women who want to step into the job market to actually start as care workers because black and minoritized ethnic women they understand care it's not easy work but they at least they get that bit so then we just upskill with lots of training lots of support and so that's why we have that which over lockdown has been a real blessing because it was one of the businesses that didn't shut down.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. And you shed some light already on the services that I was going to talk about in the next question, which was, of course, the home care service. And your organization also provides amazing other services that include um, a domestic abuse service, uh, support service, and also some welfare and benefits advice. So could you also tell us a bit more about these services and how they work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Home care does sit on its own. um, And it's, it's a very heavily governed service. So we have to give it a different kind of focus. Whereas our programmatic work, that's very holistic. So Somebody could come in asking about their welfare benefits, and they need support because you know, FISA, at the moment, everything is online. This puts a lot of our service users at a disadvantage. They may not have an email address or they may not have a laptop or a computer or a smartphone. So we might be supporting them with that. And then when that trust builds, we might realize that actually they would like some financial independence. So we might pass them on to our employment team who will maybe help them increase their um, range of English or their IT skills, confidence building. We might work with corporate friends to develop interview skills, CV writing skills. And then, unfortunately, some of those women might, when real trust has been developed, disclose abuse at home. And we call this violence against women and girls, fork. so I'll use that. And when that disclosure is made, then then there's a very specialist team to hold that woman in that space. And we don't force anybody to make disclosures. Uh, We we are very person centred. And that means everything that happens to every service user is at her pace and in her control. We also have a youth service and older women's service. And this is also a little bit different to normal sort of youth groups yeah. because it also attracts um, fairly isolated individuals who maybe haven't, don't have that exposure to a, a place where they can explore their, their lives and their life choices. And that's really important, too, because they can take that back home and start to make different decisions.
0: Amazing. It's great that you're trying to reach out to everyone in society. So, yep, thank you so much for uh, elaborating on that as well. And I also came across some of the really cool projects that your team has been involved in so far. And there was one of them that was called Women at the Centre. If you could just tell us about how it started, how it's going. This was a really beautiful project, Fisa.
1: It was three years and it was funded partly by the lottery and partly by the European Social Fund. It was a big project. And it taught us two things, well, three things, actually. One is how agile we are as an organisation because, number two, we worked pan-London with all sorts of communities. So, for example, in the London Borough of Southwark, we were working with women from the South American communities, whereas near Brent, we were working with um, Arab-speaking women and it taught us that we weren't actually women, um, um, hopscotch Asian women's centre. So we made a strategic change directly because of this project and we dropped the Asian, so we could be there for all minoritized women. And the third thing it showed us was how no project stands alone. So we could operate this massive employment project pan London but weave through it all of our other services and
0: it really made us look at the whole organization in a completely different way thank you very much for telling us about that just listening to all of the amazing services and the support that you're providing I feel like there will be so many people who would like to get involved in your mission and they're curious about some volunteering opportunities. Is there a volunteering program in place and how does that work? Is there like an application process? If you could just tell us about that as well.
1: Absolutely, so via our website, there's all the information, but we're always looking for volunteers. At the moment, a lot of people want to volunteer with the Afghan um, evacuees stroke refugees, but actually we often need volunteers in the office the difficulty is sometimes volunteers can't commit and organisations need that. You need committed volunteers. and Like, for example, at the moment, if somebody who is retired or had time on their hands and wanted to come and be a PA, you know, that would be amazing and such um a relief for me so i could say concentrate on fundraising if somebody else was handling my really complex calendar you know so with any charity there are always opportunities for lots of different kinds of jobs i'm also looking for a volunteer handy person because i've got lots of little chores to do that i just don't have time to bring my drill into London and put something up on the wall but if somebody had time to do that so as well as sort of more average volunteering opportunities i.e working directly with um, women in need that organization needs support by volunteers and we're always looking for good committed people to come and help us
0: yes committed volunteers do drive the organization so that's definitely very true Just taking a little step back and discussing the motivation behind your organization in depth, I just wanted to know, how did your team decide that this is the kind of issues you guys wanted to tackle into your communities? How and when did the story of Hopscotch begin? And if you could tell us about that as well.
1: Sure, let me start with a bit of our history. So Hopscotch has been in the borough of Camden since World War II. It was very heavily bombed. And so once there was peace, it became important that citizens rebuilt the borough. And for that, they developed this childcare facility. So if you think back to that time, what we know is children were brought up in a very loving home, extended family environment. You know, they weren't... um, put into any kind of institution like a nursery. So this, when this was created, now in my mind, Fizza, it was something beautiful so that children could be left and the parents could rebuild the city. But hopscotch has existed since then in some form. And it was really in 1998 that we had this collaboration with Save the Children and we started working with women and families. But your first question is a really important one. How do we decide what we're going to do? And that's driven by our team. So the vast majority of staff and trustees and senior leaders in Hopscotch are women from Black and minoritized ethnic communities. We obviously totally value all of our staff. They all bring real specialism. But uh, people from these communities, what they are able to do is listen on the ground to needs. So then when we have team meetings, they'll come and say, we really need a mental health provision, or we really need to expand our Vogue Violence Against Women and Girls work. Or there's a change to welfare benefits regulations, which means we're going to have an influx. We need to strengthen that provision. and. It's not that I can do it instantly. For example, it was two and a half years ago when the team first said, please, can we have a mental health provision? And I was only able to get that off the ground this January, last January. It takes time. It takes time to get the funding, to have the right support around us. We don't just jump into things. We take our time unless we feel very secure and sure about what we're doing. So... You know, at the moment, something that staff have said on repeat is we need some family services. I'm trying to think of how we can find funding for that kind of work that would go across all of our services so that if somebody comes for employment work but they're struggling with their children, they can get support. If they come for welfare, the same support can be there. But it's a difficult one. You know, funders don't want to support that kind of work on its own. So trying to figure out how to make it a part of
0: everything we do. Excellent. Thank you. It's a really amazing thing to be at the position where the action's actually happening because then you can get a better picture of what kind of services are really needed. So that's really amazing stuff going on. And you already talked about quite a few challenges as well. Have there been any other uh, significant challenges and setbacks so far in your time running this organization?
1: The main um, challenge for all charities is fundraising. Um, and, and, you know, the time to sit and write funding applications. It could, Sometimes it could be soul-destroying, you know, when you get rejection after rejection and then you get a success and then you're buoyed up and you start again. But really, without that, we would have a very short runway to closure. It's as simple as that so the the organization relies on success and a lot of that is around relationships so that is what we're good at is building those friendships with people because we have such a great organization we love talking about it and people love to support it but at the moment fizzle one of our biggest biggest issues is recruitment um this is since since the lockdowns across the board recruitment for everybody has been difficult so I mean, can you imagine anyone wanting to be a care worker last year? You know, nobody wanted to do that work. And yet without care workers, we can't take additional care packages to bring in income. So we were undergoing a loss, huge loss there. We have had a couple, you know, we've had one beautiful role. It's a unique programmatic role which normally we never have a problem recruiting because we're very well known and people want to work for us. We have been trying to recruit that role since June this year. And I think we're nearly there, but it's December. And, And honestly, if that hadn't happened now in December, we would have to return that funding because no funder is going to wait indefinitely. But this is the nature of the employment market at the moment. So although it's actually good for our service users as a charity and for so many of our sister charities in the area who we work with really closely, it's the same problem. Recruitment is a real
0: issue. Definitely. There's so many services that you provide as well. If you really don't have the right people and the right positions to fill that in, then um, that can definitely be a very significant challenge
1: we're never going to rush that process if Mm. we don't find the right person we don't we don't just pick the second best because Mm. all our programs are working have the potential to work with extremely vulnerable women so you're never going to put somebody in front of a vulnerable woman unless your mind body heart soul everything says this is the right person because it's too high risk
0: That's also really inspirational in itself, Ben Thank you so much. And yes, so far in your journey, I'm very sure that you would have learned a lot of amazing lessons and tips, advices if you have for other people that you could share with us who might be just in these unprecedented times, might be struggling, just drawing on your experience, if you have any advice. Absolutely. What's really interesting is most
1: charities our size support smaller charities, Um, and a lot of people don't know that we just do it because why would we not, and uh, one of the things that we focus in on is governance. So this is making sure that smaller charities are set up correctly, they have proper sort of measures in place to fall back on if there are issues So make sure they've got trustees in place, make sure the CEO, who often is the founder with the small charities, isn't burning out, you know, that, that they are supported That's a joy for me because I'm obsessed with governance, good governance. I love it. I think it's so interesting and so important. So being able to talk about that with charities, um, it gives most of us a lot of pleasure to help them put systems in place that is going to ensure the survival of of that charity. At the moment, I'm supporting a, a brand new startup charity called Maya's Legacy, you know, and we started actually by changing the name because by bouncing ideas off me she realized the previous name really maybe wasn't appropriate and she could go away and think about it and make that change and say you know what actually this feels better for me so so supporting smaller charities is is a beautiful thing to do and the thing I always say is start with your governance and everything else will flow afterwards. Because, for example, you're never going to attract funding unless in your funding application you can show good governance. So that's that's the basics of um, success for any any charity, any organisation, no matter what size.
0: Excellent. I just listening to you talking, I feel like there's quite a bit of like collaboration that's also needed in the charity sector as well helping each other out get like learning from and, and that's
1: one of the positives of covid Visa, yes. Yes. is it really brought charities together and collaboration is key without collaboration very few of us will have survived the last couple of years
0: amazing yes thank mm. you definitely um if we work together teamwork makes the dream work kind of thing as well but yes beautiful <laughs> <laughs> beautiful thank you and This last question is one of my favorites, and I just love asking this from all of my guests to tell us a quote or a motto that you kind of devote your thinking to or you live by or you like strongly resonate with.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Thank you for, for making me think about this. So the first thing that comes to mind is so I'm a Zoroastrian, which is a, a very ancient Persian religion. And it's, it's not very much a religion, it's a way of life. And our tenet is good words, good thoughts, good deeds. So that's why I do what I do. In fact, my brother, my sister, we all sort of work in the same kind of area because we really feel that these principles are really important but on a practical level I have a motto I turn to all the time and it was a really sweet friend of mine who told me this she said it as a throwaway comment I brought it home we wrote it on a card and my family and I really try to hold on to this which is no ego no problem. Uh, and it really it really works at a practical level you know when you get into a pickle with something and it's just things aren't flowing and you get stuck you know we take a breath and we go okay no ego no problem and you find that it is some something that's been driven by the ego is the thing that's causing the block and as soon as you let that go things start to flow
0: Yes, that's a very unique one. Thank you. And yes, <laughs> yes,
1: Uh definitely. So there's a shout out to my friend Margaret <laughs> Haynes for, for, for coming up with this gem. She's she's famous for doing things like that.
0: <laughs> amazing. And the way I understand it, it's like kind of letting go of your own biases or your kind of prejudices. Absolutely. Yes, and just thinking from a clearer, clearer yeah. head as well. So yes, amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's such a shame that I'm approaching one of the last questions of this episode, but what's next for uh, Hopscotch Ben What are your team's short-term and long-term goals? Yeah, well, in the new future, we need to eliminate
1: our waiting list. All of our programs are oversubscribed. So, you know, the sooner we can do that, we can get funding and get our programs expanded, the better it's going to be for, for women in London who need our particular work in the style that we do it which is Um, trauma-informed so many women do need that approach that you know we we just don't have the capacity for so in the short term we're trying to strengthen all the different programs expand them expand them geographically so we're really reaching the places where there are pockets of women without support And in the longer term, we're also strengthening our home care service because that is our method of bringing in unrestricted income. And that's the sweet spot for any charity visa. As soon as you've got unrestricted income, you can start to fund some of the programmatic work. So that's the long term vision that I'm very much holding on to.
0: Amazing. Those long waiting lists are just evidence of how valuable your services really are to these women. So good job on you. And I wish you all the very best for all of your future adventures. And I'll only be looking out for your successes. And I hope you continue to flourish as an organization.
1: Thank you. Take care.